I was just reflecting on this. 13 years ago, I joined the staff here at Kensington Temple, and I was sitting right where you're sitting, wrestling with the reality of, of life and of faith, dealing with alcohol addiction and violence problems, and thinking, can God really make a difference? I only testify to that today is to say to you that God can take a stone and turn it into bread. God can take you from wherever you are right now and form you into who God is calling you to be, to use you for His glory. And so in those 13 years that I've been here at KT, I started out in the finance department, but I spent 12 years serving our senior leader, Colin Dye, in a different, lot of different contexts. First, it was making tea and making lunch. Then it was you know, cleaning tables and clearing up after primary dinners. And then it was driving. Finally, I got promoted to driving after a year of, of serving. <laughs> Um, and I did that for many years before Colin made me the principal of the Bible College here, the International Bible Institute of London, uh, which I've been leading for the last five years or so. But there's one thing I never gave up, and that's the driving. I love the driving, not just because of Colin's car and not just because I helped him pick it. Um, but I love, I love driving Colin because well, it's, it's one of those things that only a few people can do. Me and Amanda often have fights over who's going to be driving Colin because basically it's the two of us. But I love driving Colin because it's time with my father and my friend. It's time where I get to hang out with him and there's no other interruptions. Sometimes we sit in silence. Sometimes he falls asleep. Sometimes we talk for hours. Sometimes when he's asleep, I put the seat heater on and he wakes up as if the glory of God has, has come upon us. And I love those times because, you know, in friendship, you can encounter and experience God. And there's been times where I've just been conscious of the presence of God just in the car. And so even though I have so many other responsibilities, I always want to be doing the driving. And um, I want to, in this context, just talk a little bit about things that can happen when you're driving. Things that can happen when you're doing mundane things. Things that can happen when you're sitting at your desk. Or things that can happen when you're looking after your child. For 12 years, no, 11 years, because I had to serve for that first year before I got to drive, but 11 years I've been driving Colin Dye. That driving has meant that I've had to go international with him. That, that driving has meant that I've driven him to conferences. That driving has meant that I've been uh, in cars when big decisions are being made and so on. Being in a car, driving Colin to a particular meeting, ended up with me invited to make my own TV show, which got put on 70 channels, uh, 70 countries through TBN UK, called Embracing the Challenge. I don't know if any of you saw it, but that was just driving. That was me doing the mundane thing of driving Colin from place to place, and incredible opportunities opened up through that daily, regular discipline of serving. I mention that because driving is what brought me into this next piece that we're talking about as a church. Colin and I recently got invited to be at a conference with uh, Paul Kane up in the north in Sunderland. It was a very late notice. Two weeks before the conference was actually happening, Colin found out about it. And he was umming and ahhing about whether he could go or not. And part of the decision was how to get there. Sunderland, if you don't know Sunderland, is just before you pass into Scotland. It's like the end of England, like right at the end. And I said, Colin, do you need a driver? No, 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 I'm thinking of, of flying. It's an hour to fly to Sunderland, or it's a five-hour drive and six hours if you hit traffic. Uh, Colin, um, no, no, I really feel like you need a, a driver. <laughs> well, how are you going to make this work, Gabriel? You have your son, Luke. 
Yeah, Colin, if you let me just take an hour detour, it won't take too long, an hour detour, we'll drop Luke at my parents' house, then I can drive you to Sunderland. Yeah, maybe I'll take the flight. No, 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 Colin, you need a driver. So I insisted and insisted and insisted and, and ended up in this opportunity where I was driving Colin to, to this conference. I didn't know much about what was happening. I heard Paul Kane. I thought, you know, I've heard that he's a big minister. I heard that he had a great prophetic ministry. I don't really know where he's at right now, but this is an opportunity to hear someone 88 years old ministering the word of God. I don't really want to mess up, mess up on that. Bruce had told me a little bit about him, what it was like to hear him minister. And I thought, you know, I've got to go and hear this guy. But we found ourselves being inserted into a 30-year plan that God had been orchestrating. Have you ever wondered what prophets talk about? You know, they don't ask what are you going to have for dinner tomorrow because they already know what they're going to have for dinner tomorrow. They ask more daring questions than that. Has God told you when you're going to die. It's a conversation between Mike Bickle and Paul Kane. You might have heard of Mike Bickle. He's a leader of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Paul Kane and him were involved in ministry through the Kansas City prophets with John Paul Jackson and Jim Golan, all of these other prophets of their 80s, 90s, and noughties. Has God told you when you're going to die? 1987. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know I'm going to be alive in 2017, ministering in the UK in an Elim context. Random. Bet Mike thought, okay, what's Elim? Who in America knows about what Elim is in the UK? Anyway, last year, uh, Ken and Lois Gott, who, who lead a church, Bethlehem Church in Sunderland, invited Paul Kane to a conference, their annual prophetic conference. And then Mike Bickle came on Paul Kane's Facebook and said, do you remember that prophecy about next year, about you being in the UK? How's that going? Lois jumps on the feed and says, um, Paul, did you know that we joined the Elam movement three or four years ago? Kim and Ken and Lois had just joined the Elam movement. Suddenly, the dots start to join from their perspective. This could well be the conference that Paul had seen 30 years ago happening 2017. Alongside him as a speaker, we also had Paul Manwaring from Bethel in America, and then also John Glass, who was our general superintendent of Elim uh, for 16 years. So that's what's happening from their perspective. Two weeks before the conference is going off, they let Colin know about it. And for some reason, he's free. Now, it's too long to tell you the whole story of how Colin was free, because he's never free just two weeks ahead of time. But he was free for that weekend. He'd missed, passed on a major speaking engagement. He was, uh, had, had had to stay for, for those of you who don't know, the funeral of our oldest church member, Daisy Ann, who passed away recently. And so he happened to be in the country, and there I am offering to drive him. And we find ourselves landing in Sunderland. It took us six and a half hours. I did have my foot to the floor for some of it, but you know the M1 traffic is a bit of a problem. And, and so we got there and basically had to go straight to the meeting and sit down. And out comes Paul Kane and basically says, 88 years old, in the ministry since the age of 14. That's 74 years of ministry. This tonight is the most important meeting of my whole life. And you're just sitting there, oh my God, how did I end up here? Just driving. Just doing that which was always my role to do. What is it that God has 
put in your hands? What is it that you're doing every single day? What is it that you're doing regularly that we believe God is going to anoint and make a substantial difference? Be you acting, accounting, doctors, nurses, lawyers. How is God going to take what you're doing? Plumbers, electricians, street cleaners, drivers, TFL wonderful people, all of you. Just help me get home tonight. All of you, how's God going to take what you're doing every single day and anoint it? So this is the context that we, we find ourselves in. And in the middle of this ministration, this prophetic flow of Paul speaking about what God has brought him back, what God has strengthened him in late life for, what God has anointed him for, is the sparking and release of a, of a revival. He used the phrase, striking a match striking a match and then beyond that the next day as we're all in this revival atmosphere God is speaking to people people are getting healed people are encountering God in a fresh way uh, Paul then got a particular personal word for Colin and Amanda from the platform and spoke out words of a Kensington temple which I was able to record because I'd just driven so I could take my camera with me and stick it up there and we're going to show you a short clip I want you to think about what's happening here because this is an incredibly potent moment for us as a church here in Kensington Temple. Do turn your attention to the screen. I want to impart something tonight by way of hope promise from the Holy Spirit about spiritual manifestation and I believe that God is preparing a new move of his spirit and um, I know I'm in touch at least with with uh, some of this because many people are saying the same thing different prophetic people around the world are hearing the Holy Spirit preparing us and gently speaking to us Happy birthday, Paul. Paul, I remember this. You probably don't remember this, but way back in 1987, you told me that you saw yourself ministering in an Elam context in 2017. And I remember in 87, I said, it will never be 2017. Well, it's one year away, and I'm assuming that was a literal prophecy, but I'm with you for that 2017. Things in the body of Christ for these last days, and I feel that we're about Colin and Amanda dying. I feel like we're about uh, Ken and Lois, God. And I feel like we're about many of you and uh, John, Kerry Cresty, all of you and, and uh, our wonderful people have taken care of us. But all of you, this is an all-inclusive thing. God is not just speaking to uh, a handful of people. Everyone here has been graced by the touch of the hand of God. Everyone, the fire of the Holy Spirit has come upon all, everyone here. And when you leave, you're, never, you're not going to be the same again no matter how much you try. You will never be the same again. I prophesy no one in this building, no one near this building will ever be the same again. It's for you and for your children and for them that are full to as many as the Lord our God shall call. A significant thing, a significant voice has come and spoke. Uh, 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 God has 
revealed himself in a new and living way in every one of us. Right. So Lord, I just uh, pray that the anointing will come upon Colin and Amanda. Lord, that um, the church uh, that has had the most history of Smith Wigglesworth and uh, the revivals of the past, Lord, I pray that um, the Welsh revival and all will be upstaged in this meeting. But no, anoint them, Lord, and let them let their days ahead be greater than anything yes, that they've experienced yes, Lord. Uh, in the past. As senior leader of Kensington Temple, I'm going to officially strike the match and, and light the fire of revival. Not that this is in my hands, but it is an act of faith and an act of response on behalf of us all. So Father, in the name of Jesus, by faith, I strike a match. Grant that this, which represents this tiny flame, which represents the fire of revival, let it be ignited in all our hearts to the glory of God and let all the world know that our God is great. I don't know where you are. I don't know what God is stirring in your heart the moment you start to hear talk like that about us, about Kensington Temple, about a church that has been in the plan of God for decades. Over a hundred years, God has been moving in this house. How do you feel when the prophetic word is spoken over our senior leaders, which means that we are participating in that, that God is going to do incredible things in our midst? And I was standing there in that meeting. I've felt the presence of God many times. There was a time when I went to John and Carol Arnott's church in Toronto, uh, back in the time when I first started working for Colin. Colin had to tell Carol Arnott, this boy is resistant to the Holy Spirit. Okay, but since that time, I've felt many, many times the presence of God. But that night, I could feel like fire was on the surface of my skin, all over my body. It felt incredible. I'd never felt anything like it. I couldn't tangibly explain it any more than I've, I've just done for you because I felt, I knew that God was doing something significant. We've heard all of the different parts of the 30-year prophecy, the, 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 the way that Colin was able to engage, but also there's been so many things happening all around us to bring us to this place, whether it's Brexit or the issues of the backsliding of this nation. All of these things are coinciding at this particular time for what God wants to do. But we all got hang-ups, right? Revival hang-ups. Any of you heard the word revival before? Any of you thought, wow, a new move of God? When did the last one finish? When are we, where are we right now? What is God doing? Because we may have heard it in different contexts, different churches, different times. Certainly in this church, we've had a number of seasons of new moves of God, and they've each had different reflections. The deepening of our roots in Christ, the willingness to travail through times of offense, 
the willingness to believe God in the middle of great difficulty. Those are some of the new moves of God that we've seen locally. But we've also got to recognize that this is part of a national announcement that God is speaking over us as a nation. See, God expects for us as mankind to desire God to move, to reach out for touches of God, to hunger for those glimmers of revival, to begin to stir into something much, much greater. God looks for that. And then there comes a time when God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to announce over the nation exactly what I am going to do. And this is a time where we should be preparing ourselves as a church, saying to ourselves, how are we going to engage? I know, like you, that we could easily sit here and say, ha, you know what, let's see three or four months how the revival has taken hold before I start to engage. Can I just say to you that pessimism is not directional. Directional. Pessimism isn't taking you anywhere in life. Pessimism is going to keep you in the same spot when God is doing a new thing all the way around you. And by the time you wake up, the way that you were supposed to be riding is, is way ahead of you. See, God is about to do some great stuff in our midst. We often speak about God doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and he's about to do that. But in keeping with his nature, that God is a God of grace, God is a God who wants to manifest his glory and his goodness in this nation once again. Let's be honest, there's no way we can say as a nation that we deserve it. There's no way we can say as a nation that we have been praying enough, seeking enough, fasting enough, sacrificing enough in terms of being living sacrifices for him. But he wants to pour out his spirit upon us. He wants to manifest himself and begin to show us what he can do. And there are things that you never thought would change that are going to change. There are situations that you have faced that were mountains, that were immovable mountains, and they are going to move in the context of this revival move of God. And so I want to encourage you right from the outset to position yourself for a mindset change. I trust God that he is going to begin to shift your thinking out of discontentment, out of pessimism, into a place where you embrace the call of God for yourself. And I'm conscious in a room like this, there are so many different people. There are those that have been jaded by the church and what God has supposedly been doing in the church. There are those that find themselves wounded by the church. There are those that are downcast because of life. There are those that are weak because of the issues and the challenges that they're facing. But let me encourage you that God has strength for each and every single one of you. God has a plan to revive each and every one of you. I love the way that Colin presented this last week. He asked the question, who qualifies? Everybody. Even the most unlikely qualify for what God wants to do in this house. And so my goal with everything that I say today from here on is I desire to see a, a shift for each one of us. From the message last week of an open door in heaven to God, light a fire on the inside of me. I want to be a part of what you're doing here in Kensington Temple. And step into a place where the next month years, decades, you start to see what God is going to increasingly do and manifest his glory amongst us. You know, we're not starting from a place necessarily of strength. We're starting perhaps from a place of weakness. God is made perfect in our weakness, but also he's got a long way to bring us in terms of preparing our hearts to believe him for everything that he is planning to do. But let's say tonight that let it be first said that you have permission to engage. 
You have permission to engage with God, to step into what he is doing and to participate in what he's doing. So let's pray and then I'll give you some thoughts on what this is going to look like. Isaiah 64, great prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have rendered the heavens and come down. We thank you that the mountains did quake in your presence. That day when you gave your life upon the cross, the earth shook before you. That day you announced something over all of creation, that you were making all things new. And the nations trembled at your great and mighty work, Lord Jesus. The nations trembled when they saw your resurrection. And we look to you for the awesome things that you're going to do in our midst, Lord Jesus. We know that there, is, there are things that you are going to do that we have not heard or perceived, that our eye has not even been open to, but that you're going to begin to act in our midst, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you are going to bring forth great joy amongst us as we see you revealing yourself, as we see you manifesting your glory, as we see you making your name great in this nation once again. And we thank you for the multitudes that shall be saved as you reveal yourself because you are good. Lord, we ask tonight, Father, for manifestations of your Holy Spirit. No other spirit will do. We want your Holy Spirit to come and fill us, to speak to us, to release us into new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11, we find Jesus having just sent out his disciples, having commissioned them for the great work of proclaiming the kingdom of God, is summoned by John the Baptist and is asked, asked a question, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is one who is not offended by me. This incredible proclamation from Jesus is not just words. He's not saying, yes, John, the kingdom has come. What he's saying is, John, look at what is happening. People are being healed. People are being set free. And these are not just normal, I had a headache and my headache left. Or I really felt pain when I got out of bed this morning, but the moment I warmed myself up, I was okay. These are the blind people seeing, the deaf people hearing. These are the dead being raised. Jesus' announcement to John is that the kingdom is being demonstrated right in our midst. What is revival? Revival is an awakening to the righteousness of God. It's an awakening to God's goodness towards us. And when God shows up, when God manifests his righteousness, stuff begins to happen. Miracles begin to happen. The deaf start to hear. The blind start to see. I don't know how many of you were here in 2008, around that period, we had two years, 10 years ago, two years of nightly meetings, 5,000 people saved, hundreds of miracles, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, lame people getting out of chairs, cancers disappearing, incredible miracles all over the place. We're a church that is steeped in revival history. That's our recent history without all going all the way back to uh, the George Jeffries days. But when God shows up, miracles start to happen. And we believe that God is going to start to manifest himself in this house with genuine miracles. Genuine miracles, genuine manifestation of his will. Because we need to see the power of God manifest in this nation, once again. 
And we want to be participating in that as a church. We want to be engaged in that as a church, seeing people healed. What sort of things? We believe that cancers can be healed. We've seen cancer healed. We believe that broken bones can be healed because they have been healed. We believe that long-term disjointments can be healed, misalignments of the back can be healed. We've seen people that are demon-possessed set free. We've seen these things. But what are we going to see in the future? The word that Paul was using every single time he tried to explain this move of God was unprecedented. 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 Bruce this morning was talking about the centurion and his servant and just one word being spoken and a man who was sick miles away, nearly dying, getting up. That's unprecedented. When we talk about unprecedented, we're talking about people that are in stage four cancer that the doctors have fully written off, believing God and praying and commanding healing in their life and seeing them healed. Amen? (laughs) It means that when you're going down the street, you might sit down next to someone on the bus and suddenly get a word of knowledge for them. Hey, your name is this. God just wants to tell you, whatever it might be. It means that those family members that have been so resistant to the gospel have been prepared for such a time as this, who've been prepared for a time when the word of God will break open their hearts. It means the dead being raised. It means blind eyes being opened. It means incredible, incredible things. And I mean here in London. This word is for the UK. This word is for us here in London. You know, I've been in Mali and seen crazy things. I went to one hut, mud hut village. We had to go an hour on the road, an hour on the track, an hour on the horse cart to get to this village, bumping along on the back of the Land Rover. And we get there, and you can't see anything because it's pitch black, no electricity, and mud huts. And everyone's running around with these little wind-up torches. And the only way you could see is if you had a torch. And so we're following the people that had torches. We get taken to the chief to see the chief. Chief, can we please preach in your village? And we're all sitting around in this nice circle. They're passing around food and so on. We're asking permission. And the chief is shining his torch on his feet. He's 65 or so, 70 by the look of him. And I look at his feet. I was like, what? Because I was wearing my shoes, okay? So it wasn't one of my feet. I didn't miss see, okay? I looked at his feet. He wasn't wearing any shoes. One foot looked like a 65-year-old man foot. It was crinkled, long curled nails, hairy. Other foot could have been mine. 25, clean skin, trim nails. I was like, what kind of witchcraft is this? (laughs) And we were in this context. You can believe me or not, I know what I saw. But the only thing that we could do was proclaim the healing of Christ. People got healed and then they got saved. It was incredible. But we're not talking about stories in Africa, in Mali, three years, three hours out of the main city center. We're talking about here in Kensington Temple, incredible miracles happening. And more than that, because Colin always reminds us of this, that you never go to church. You are the church. When I say here in Kensington Temple, I mean that you're going to start coming to us with testimonies. You're going to start coming. I prayed for a sick person at work and they got healed. I prayed for this person and that happened. You know, Becca, Becca was telling me this prayer she prayed for our, our nanny. 
Now, our nanny's a tough woman. If you see her, she's grown up in London. She's got the accent. She's got the battle scars. She's been around for a long time. And she looks after kids. She suffers in silence. She had a, a year-long back problem. One day, she called to us. She's like, you know, I'm going to be a bit late. I've had a problem getting out of bed, but I'll be there. So she came in. I wasn't there. And Becca's like, why are you late? Oh, back problem. Becca just lays hand on the back, prays for her in the name of Jesus. We don't make a big song and dance. She knows what I do, but we don't make a big deal for her about, about church and stuff. But in that prayer, she just starts to cry. She came back to us two weeks ago and tells us, I've had that back pain for a year and I've not experienced any pain for the last six weeks. Amen. Amen. But God, what I love about that story is it's my wife. It's not me doing it, it's my wife. She's a, she's a banker. She works in project management, okay? These are what you're going to be doing. The things that you are going to be coming to testify of, the things that you're going to believe God for and see happen. Why? Because we need to see a manifestation of the will of God in this nation. Bless God for the NHS. There are so many wonderful members of Kensington Temple who are nurses, and doctors, and cleaners in hospital. I love the day we had Luke, one of the cleaners just goes, Pastor Gabriel, congratulations. Um, so many wonderful people in Kensington Temple have such a compassion and passion to heal people and are using the gifts and talents that God has given them to make a difference. It's incredible to know that God can use you to heal the sick. But we also know the NHS is creaking. We also know that the NHS cannot take all of the sick people that there are in this nation. We know that people choose to stay at home rather than go to the doctor and suffer with incredible pain. Why? Because the NHS was never supposed to be the answer. The NHS was supposed to be one answer with the church as the other answer. We honor those that give their lives to see people healed and restored, but we are also called as a church to be the other answer. When people get a, a death sentence over their lives, we are called to be the answer. When people have no hope for the future, we are called to be the answer. Are we going to participate? Are we going to be people that say, Lord, light a fire in my heart. Let me be one of those revivalists. Let me be one of those people that take this prophetic word and participate in the prophetic action of this house and start to see incredible things happen. How? How do we see it? Sounds great, sounds good, sounds exciting. There's a prayer we all pray. We all know it real well, our Father who art in heaven. We can recite it without even thinking about it. The problem is we're reciting it without thinking about it, but what we're really praying is this. Our Father who's in heaven, I don't know what you're up to. Can you just pause on your will being done on earth right now because I want my will to be done. Your kingdom, keep that on hold because I am seeking my kingdom of fun. Why, Lord? Because I'm too busy making my own cheddar to worry about whether you are going to bless me with my daily bread or not. That piece that you said about forgiveness, is it okay if I forgive but never talk to them again? And don't worry about that temptation thing, Jesus. I got this. I got self-control. I know exactly how to take care of business. 
And I don't know if you really have forgiven me because I didn't stay in your presence long enough to find out. But, you know, I'd rather just hold on to some of these IOUs for my friends just in case I need them in the future. I don't want to forgive them too soon. I might have something to call on them for later. Maybe when I get before old Pete, Pearly Gates, I'll call him one of those favors. I hope some of your flesh is getting offended. I hope it is. I hope you're honest enough with yourself to say that's how you pray with your lifestyle. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to trust you. I don't want to walk in holiness. I don't want to be serious about my relationship with you, God. And you see, the thing is that we have prayed that prayer all wrong, not because of the way I've just described it to you, but we've prayed it all wrong because we think with that prayer that we are offering God something as if it's a payment. The Catholic Church has made a system out of this. Pray that our Father prayer 20 times, that will get you off X, Y, Z sins. We think we're paying Jesus. We think we're paying God. But the Father is inviting us rather to imitate Him. The whole of the prayer is about imitating God. The whole of the prayer is about participation. The whole of the prayer is saying, God, I want to live for you. I want to live like you. Teach me how to rely on you. Teach me how to rely on you like Jesus relied on you. Teach me how to forgive God like you forgave. How could I know you, God, except that you forgave me? Teach me how to have that same forgiveness because now I have restored relationship with you. How can I have restored relationship with people? Teach me, God, how to walk in genuine holiness. Teach me to keep me from temptation because I want to honor you and glorify you with my life. You see, the whole of the prayer is the invitation to an imitation of God that will radically change your life. So much so that when people see you, they say, that's Jesus. That's someone who's encountered Jesus. That's someone who has tasted Jesus. That's someone that wants to live for Jesus. Why? Because we are called to a lifestyle of provision, forgiveness, and holiness. And that's what we believe that the entirety of this revival is about, the call to fresh passion for holiness, to love being in God's presence. You can't be in God's presence without holiness. You can't experience holiness without his forgiveness. You can't experience his forgiveness without radically forgiving those that have wronged you. It's not putting boundaries in the way, it's showing you the steps to take so that you can be in God's presence. And there are things that God wants to talk to you about in his presence that will radically change your life. Over the summer, I was at a, a worship conference, uh, all, an all-day worship event. And just after some time in prayer just, and worship, I just began to experience God's presence in a life-changing way. Most of it was private, not for discussion publicly, but I began to understand that in his presence, it's where you begin to experience what he really wants to do. I began to cry for the nation. I began to cry for the state of people that are so far from God. And really, I knew on some level I was crying for myself because I was far from God on some level. But on another level, we need to see people moved people entering in, people encountering the presence of God. We need to come to the recognition that as close as we think we are, there's still many, many 
more experiences for us to have with the Father. Many, many more experiences for us to have with the Holy Spirit. Much more becoming like Jesus. So much more for us to, don't ever get satisfied with what you have right now. The problem is that we are a habitual people. We are people that get used to where we are and we stop seeking the new thing. Why? Because the new thing costs us. Do you remember when you first started to learn to drive? How tired you felt after 10 minutes because you're focusing on everything? And then you had to get out the car and just go have a sleep? Now you might drive for four hours, six hours. Why? Because it transitions to our habitual actions. But when it comes to pursuing God, we can't do things out of habit. We can't just do the easy things that we have always done. We can't just keep reverting to the same old practices. Yes, it's important to have the foundations of prayer, but grow in prayer. Grow in your Bible reading. Grow in your passion for God. Come to Bible college, January. (laughs) Grow. Hunger for God. If you think you know all there is to know about God, your brain is too big. Too big of, too full of rubbish. If you think that you know all there is to know about God, because we can never apprehend fully who God is, but we can keep seeking him all the time. All the time. If you would rather not seek God because you'd rather watch movies or just spend time on your iPhone or whatever it might be, you've missed it. God is calling us into a deeper intimacy with him. So I want us to come to a time where we start to say, God, you know what? I want to be a participator. I want to be engaged in what you're doing. I want to step out in faith. Maybe there might be things that you have to deal with in your heart over a period of time in terms of jadedness, in terms of your approach to people. You know, it's so important that we say this, that this is not about setting you on fire so that you can be made great. This is about setting you on fire so that we as a church can glorify Jesus. See, the, the, the love of God that transforms us causes us to radically love one another. If we don't have that radical love, forget it. Revival will be done in five minutes. This is about the body of Christ. This is about the community of the church. This is about your strength, my strength, your gift, my gift, your ability, my ability, all aligned for the glory of Jesus. Brought together by the radical love of God. I know some of you are struggling with that whole love concept. Because of this issue of forgiveness. Can I ask for the band to come back, please? This issue of forgiveness is so paramount. If we are to be a people that have our lives set on fire by God, we have to prepare the altar. We have to prepare the place for the fire of God to fall. I want to ask you, has your pain obscured your vision? Has your pain become the limiting factor on what you believe God for? Is the smallness of your vision an opportunity for the blood of Christ to bring great transformation? I know people that say things like this. My ex-partner ruined my life. I can never forgive them. My parents messed me up so bad I don't know how to trust people. I can never forgive them. My boss has treated me so badly, I don't know how I can continue working in that place. My friends have taken that which was spoken in secret and proclaimed it publicly. I don't know how I can ever forgive. The problem with that statement is you're saying, I don't want to be on the altar. I don't want Jesus to do a work in me. 
And yet I know that you do. I know that you want Jesus to do a work in you. I know that you want to engage in the significance that God has called you to in life. But you've got to learn to forgive, whether it is receiving the forgiveness of God or giving God light forgiveness to those that have wronged you. And you might be walking under a cloud, a cloud of depression, anxiety, fear, shame, because of the way that someone has treated you. They might have done something and put your, your junk on the internet. They might have taken all of your money. They might have made sure you didn't get promoted. Whatever it would be, that stuff needs to be brought to the place of the cross so that your life can be an altar for the fire of God. I'm not going to ask you to stand in response for this section. But if you do want to stand, you can. Whatever attitude you want to ad adopt, I want you to start to do business with God. I want you to release radical forgiveness. I want you to receive the radical forgiveness of God. See, there is no sin that is too great. No sin that is too great. Let me start by saying this. Jesus condemned hatred in your heart as murder and lusting in your heart as adultery. So every one of you here, murderer and adulteress before God. Don't pretend like you're holier than you are. Before God, we are all caught under those two determinations. But if God can forgive us murder and forgive us adultery, what else can he forgive us of? What else can he forgive you of? There is nothing too great. So I want you to adopt a position where you can start to do business with God. Start to engage with Him. We're going to go on to some further ministry after that. But first, prepare your life. Prepare your heart. Cleanse the altar. Even if it's just one person, if that person's action towards you is that big that you can only spend this time doing that, do that. 